all know a guy who only occasionally shaves for big occasions, and it's because that occasional shave really hurts. It's the time of year for big occasions, and yet there he is, suffering with that cheap drugstore razor. Let's help him out. Henson Shaving's line of razors, built with aerospace precision, deliver a smooth shave your dad, brother, and even son can enjoy, eventually. With replacement blades just 10 cents each, you'll buy it once, and they'll use it for life. How's that for the perfect gift? Celebrate with 100 free blades on your first purchase, and no subscription headaches. HensonShaving.com slash holiday. Ah, feel the woe with Listerine at BJ's. You can save $2.50 now on Listerine products like Total Care Anti-Cavity Fluoride Fresh Mint Mouthwash or Cool Mint Pocket Packs Fresh Breath Strips at your nearest BJ's location. Experience the feeling of a million germs zapped in seconds with Listerine. Discount available through December 24th. Save now only at BJ's. You're about to experience a life-giving message from Bishop Kevin Foreman, pastor of Harvest Church, one church in global locations. To find out more about Bishop Foreman and Harvest Church, visit our website at www.harvestchurch.church. Your faithful giving is how we continue to bring life-giving messages like these to you. Give online in our mobile app or text the word giving to 59769. Remember to love God, love people, and love life. We're taking over. confession we're going to make. I'm lifting my phone because I've got the Harvest Mobile app. Let's say it together, everybody. It's there on the screens. Let's say it. I am unconditionally loved by God and at Harvest Church. I'm in my year of acceleration, accelerated progress, accelerated faith. This year, all I do is win in Jesus' name, Selah. Stay standing for just one more second. Go to Acts chapter 17, verse number 6. Acts chapter 17, verse number 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts chapter 17, verse number 6. Well, you got it. Say, I got it, Bishop. If you still flip and say, hold on, Bishop. I'll wait on you. If you're just going to look on the screen, say, been there, Bishop. All right. I encourage you to get our app. You can read the whole Bible free through the year. Acts 17, 6. But when they did not find them. Now, let me give you some context. Paul the Apostles got a team, and they are tearing it up. Say tearing it up. They are reaching people all over the region, all over the area. They're changing lives in a significant way. And they get to this city, and they get to this guy named Jason. Say Jason. Not Jason Voorhees, the hockey mask guy. Not him. Jason here. And Jason's name is interesting because Jason's name means healer. Everybody else in the city, they were listening to Paul at this time and they were converting. They were giving their lives to Jesus. People were being healed. It was incredible. Say incredible. And some people came against Paul. Whenever you're doing God's will, you need to expect resistance. For some of you, the trouble you've been facing isn't that God is against you. In fact, it is that you're finally on God's side. So the resistance you feel is the enemy trying to come against you. But here's what you need to know. Somebody say, but I win anyhow. Acts 17, 6. So this guy named Jason, Jason takes Paul and the team that's with him into his house. And what's significant is Jason's name means healer. So the man of God was out healing people, helping people, get preaching the gospel to people. People are getting saved. But it came a time where even the man of God needed a healer. Amen. He needed somebody to help him. Are y'all still with me? So Jason lets them come and stay in his house. And I want you to see what happens in the city. Say in the city. 
This is verse 6. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city. Some of the folks that were with Paul, some of the folks that had given their life to Jesus. And here's what they cried out. And here's the part I want you to see from the verse. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. No, 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 no. You missed it. You missed it. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. No, you, you ain't got it yet. 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 This resistance is coming against Paul. They're giving Paul hell. They're giving him trouble. They're lying on him, backstabbing him, all of this. And the reason that Paul was dealing with those issues is because the word on the street about Paul was that Paul and anybody with him was turning the world upside down. You'll catch it in a minute. You'll catch it in a minute. The reason some of us have been going through trials, tribulations, and turmoil is that there's a rumor out about you. And the rumor ain't that you're so messed up, jacked up, tied up, tangled up. The rumor about you is that you've been turning the world upside down. Horace, I just want to know, are there anybody in here that can say, wait a minute, I just found out what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to turn the world. I'm supposed to turn the world. This is going to make so much sense in about 10 minutes. The reason that when you failed, you had to fall forward. Watch this. Was because it was bigger than you. The reason you couldn't stop coming to church is because it was bigger than you. The reason you couldn't, watch this, couldn't die is because it's bigger than you. The reason cancer couldn't take you out is because it's bigger than you. The reason sickness couldn't take you out is because it's bigger than you. The reason that divorce couldn't take you out is because it's bigger than you. God says, I'm about to use your life to turn the world upside down. But before you can turn the world upside down, I got to turn your life upside down. It's going to make a lot of sense in 10 minutes. Jesus, do what you do when you do how you do when you do when you do it. In Jesus' name, be seated. We're in the final week of this life-giving message series called Fall Forward, where we've been learning from the Bible how to maximize failure and how to maximize mistakes and how to maximize disappointments. And as we prepare to end this series, I'm calling our church into action. Say, let's go. Here's the, here's the action we've got to take. Let's turn the world upside down. I'm going to say it again. Let's turn the world upside down. I'm going to say it one more time so that you can act like you heard me. Let's turn the world upside down. I said, let's turn the world upside down. Let's get rid of homelessness in our city. Let, let's take care of single mamas so they ain't got to struggle. Let, let's see people get up out of wheelchairs. Let's see HIV heal. Let's see cancer dissipate. Let's turn the world upside and last Sunday's message, it's going to make sense to you in a minute. If you're like, where is he going with it? I'm not sure. Just stick with me. Last Sunday's message, we discovered that God is not into us having won, but into us winning. Because the scripture says in 2 Corinthians that he always leads us into triumph. And we examined that leadership example of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. He led us by example because Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, 100% God, 100% man. There's a Greek word for it. The anthropos, you know what it means. He's so much God you can't believe his man, so much man you can't believe he's God. His humanity is tired because for 40 days and for 40 nights he has been fasting. He has not been eating like he normally does. And so for any of us, uh, it won't necessarily take 40 days. For some of us, 40 minutes. For some of us, uh, 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 you know, a couple of hours at the end of the day. Could you imagine fasting, not eating anything for 40 days or 40 nights? Somebody say, that's intense. 
Uh, Jesus was tired and he was weak mentally and weak emotionally after 40 days of fasting. And the Bible says that the tempter comes to him. It is Hasetan in Hebrew, the adversary. He comes to tempt Jesus. Watch this. He comes to tempt him with something lesser to see if he would accept lesser and not pursue greater. Sometimes you, you and I are tempted to pursue, watch this, and to take what's convenient versus fighting for what we have to conquer. Sometimes we are tempted to take what's easy so that we don't take what forces us to evolve. And so in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is weak. Somebody say he's weak. weak. Somebody say he's tired. And the tempter comes to tempt him. And the Bible says that Jesus responds to every single temptation. The temptation began as a question, which means for you and I, the way attacks begin against us are always questions. There are questions that we ask ourselves that make us doubt what we say we believe. Every time Satan came to, the, uh, uh, Satan came to Jesus, he said to him, uh, uh, if you are the son of God, son of God, meaning God in the flesh, then command this, thus, and so. If you are who you say you are, this, that, and the other. Notice the test came to test Jesus' identity to see if Jesus would have an identity crisis when he was tired and weak. Because sometimes you'll forget who you are when you're in the middle of a test. And sometimes it's not as much what I do as much as me knowing who I am. Because if I know who I am, it automatically changes and affects what I do. I'm going to tell somebody, don't let what you've been going through make you lose your head. Don't you lose your identity uh, because you're going through a little bit of an issue. Don't forget that if God be for you, who can be against you? Don't forget that he that's begun a good work and you shall complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Don't forget who you are. Jesus responds to every single test saying this, it is written. What did he do? It is written. What did he do? It, it, he kept repeating the word, and Satan would try another attack, but Jesus kept using the winning move. I gave you this example last week. It's kind of like a video game. If you've ever been in a video game, sometimes there are certain moves that you know work. I used to like playing Mortal Kombat. In Mortal Kombat, I liked to, used to be Raiden. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, all right, Raiden had a couple of moves that always worked. So I didn't want to get creative and just go be this person. I said, I don't know his winning moves. I don't know his moves, so I'm not interested in trying to be him. I'm going to be who I know wins and who I know works. Some of you, you're trying to use your, uh, watch this, your friends on social media's winning move. Now realizing that ain't a winning move, that's a posing move because you're believing their highlight reel and you're comparing their highlight reel to your practice footage. Jesus kept hitting back with the word. Every time Satan came, he knocked him out with the word. Every time the devil said, you're not this, he knocked him out with the word. Because in the question embedded is a statement, if you be the son of God. In other words, he's saying, you're tired right now, so maybe you're not who you say you are. Watch this, because if you are who you say you are, then why are you going through that? See, if you really are a conqueror, why do you feel like you're being conquered? If you really are uh, the head and not the tail, why are you always on the back end of the deal? If you really are victorious, why do you seem so defeated? Why do you seem so down But I came to tell somebody today, don't you let what's around you determine who you are. Don't you let what's going on around you mess with your head. Slap your neighbor, high five, say, I'm a winner, baby, I'm a winner. Jesus stayed disciplined to the winning method. He didn't whine because Satan kept coming. And one of the greatest rewards to a leader is to see himself and those he leads. Second Corinthians says he always what? Leads us into triumph. He doesn't force you to win. He doesn't force you to be victorious, which is what the issue many Christians have. Is they're sitting back waiting on something that they've not followed. 
God's not going to force you to have a great marriage. He's not going to force you to be debt free. He's not going to force you to be healed. Instead, he leads you. But the issue with leadership is you got to be a good follower. And I'm going to tell somebody that before you call yourself a boss, you need to learn how to serve. Before you try to say you're the head, you need to learn how to be in the body. We've got an issue in the body of Christ where everybody wants a mic, but nobody wants a mop. Y'all not saying nothing to me. Everybody wants to be great, but nobody wants to serve. And Jesus said that the greatest among you would be the servant. In other words, in order to be led into victory, I have to follow. So, 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 so Jesus was disciplined. He showed us this is how you win. He showed us every time something comes your way, use the word. Every time something's trying to block you, use the word. I had a moment the other day where I was super discouraged. I was super discouraged. Just in the middle of the day, it's a human moment. Touch your neighbor and say, you have them too. I was super discouraged, and for a minute, I wanted to complain. For a minute, I wanted to say, you know what, Lord? And then right there in that moment, here's what I did. I used the word. And when I used the word, all of a sudden, what ended up happening is that what was now worrying me, it now became a great sign of victory. The moment I spoke the word, I looked down at my phone and got a great, great, great message that I said, well, thank you, Jesus. In other words, I smiled because I said, Lord, ain't you something that in the moment of a, uh, in the middle of a moment of discouragement, when I used the winning move, all of a sudden things turned and worked in something I wasn't even praying for, something I wasn't even asking for, but he just put it on me. I'm going to tell somebody that if you'll keep using the winning move, God will just put some stuff on your plate, put some stuff on your desk, put some stuff at your feet. You didn't even pray for. You didn't even ask for. Blessings are going to track you down. Favors going to track you down. Healers going to track you down. Somebody say, I'm winning. So, so Jesus, Jesus showed us how to win. It was in his disciplines. And we learned last week that your disciplines, your disciplines are what you say yes to or no to consistently for the right reasons. That your disciplines actually determine your destinations. Listen to me. It's not your skill. It's not your talent. It's not your gifting. It's not your anointing. Watch this. It's your discipline that gets you to your destination. Say discipline. Let me prove it to you. How many of us have met really smart people that were so smart they're stupid? That's most of us. They, you're like, you're so talented, you're so this, you're so that, but they lack discipline. They want to wake up at 12 and talk about they're going to be a millionaire. Y'all not talking. Uh, they they want to sit around and complain about this, that, and the other, and this and that, and the man's holding me down. What man, if God be for you, who in the world would dare be against you? Go on and be a statistic beater rather than sitting there letting somebody impose their statistical limitations on you. So, 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 our disciplines are what we say yes to or no to consistently for the right reasons. That determines your destination. The antonym or the opposite of discipline is this word, laziness. Say lazy. Say laziness. Come out of me. You want to know what procrastination is? It is your weak attempt at perfection. I'm not doing it yet because I can't do it perfectly. And, and sometimes what you got to do is you got to use what you got. To get to where you're going. Let me borrow a line from a movie. If you know this movie, I know you can get your life to Jesus and you had a BC. Sometimes you got to use what you got to get what you want. You're missing what I'm saying. In other words, I'm not waiting for perfect conditions because perfect conditions are never coming. Instead, even when it's storming, I'll be like Peter and walk out on the water. And even though there's a storm, watch me walk it out. Watch me walk it out. Even scared, watch me walk it out. Feeling like I can't do it, watch me walk it out. Discipline is how I win. So, 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 lazy, lazy. It means to stop. 
to be idle, to be inactive, to be underactive, to be sluggish, or to stop doing what works. Jesus kept doing what works because he was showing us this is how you win. He was leading us by example. And so now he says, I want to see it in you. I want to see you be disciplined when you want to whine. He wants to see us be disciplined while, while folk are trying to scandalize your name. He wants to see us be disciplined when we don't want to worship. He wants to see us shout when we don't want to shout. He wants to see us praise when we don't want to praise. Why? He said, just follow my lead. Follow my lead. I kept showing you how to get it done. Are you still here? I've noticed something. One consistent reason that people who start out winning that start losing is because they lack the discipline to win. I said this last week when winning stopped being easy. The newer you are to Jesus, the easier your wins. Because you need a couple W's under your belt. But once you've known the Lord for about 12 months, those wins take a little bit more time. Why? It's the same way at the gym. At the gym, if you're doing bicep curls, let me just use it because it's easy. If you're doing bicep curls, you know, you may start with your little five. A couple times, you're ready for 10. Now 15. Now 20. But now you've been in it for a while. And, and, and so now you're jumping up to 50 and 75 and 100 and all this here. Why? Because as you mature, watch this. That means it takes longer to manifest. Yeah, you miss, you, you, you miss what I'm just saying. See, uh, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus now, when he starts, he's 30 years old there. In Matthew chapter 4, uh, when Jesus is tempted, notice he responds to the devil a few times, and after that, then the devil leaves him. When it's time for him to go to Calvary, the devil never leaves. He's got to win with him standing there. What do you mean he never left? Because he worked for him. Yeah, I'm not talking about. Judas was sitting at Jesus' table the entirety of the time, and he had to win right in the face of his enemy. And for some of you, you don't even understand. The Bible says God prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies, which means he says the enemy's not going to leave this time. This time you're going to have to win in their face. I don't know if I got any basketball fans in here. I can't hoop, so I don't really like basketball. I like sports. I can win. But check this out. Every now and then, I like to see when one of them guards or one of them players, they go up and they dunk right in the face of one of the other opponents and teams right in front of their face. God says to somebody in this room, you've been waiting for the court to be clear. The court's not going to be clear. You're going to have to dunk right in the face of your enemy. I dare you to just shake your neighbor's arm like you're going to shake it off and say dunk in the face of your enemy. Yeah. Right in their in the face. I dare some of you to just prophesy to your face. Dunk right in your face. Right in the face of discouragement. Right in the face of racism. Right in the face of hatred. Right in the face of the. Ah! 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 Watch this. Jesus had to dunk right in the face of his enemy, but he learned to have that level of discipline from Matthew chapter 4. Say, discipline is how I win. See, discipline follows the last order until you get a new one. When discipline is displayed, watch this, when discipline is displayed, it damages the enemy's plan. Say it again. When discipline is displayed, it damages your enemy's plan. What's an enemy, Bishop? Anything. Now, person, place, thing, idea, that opposes your forward progress. When discipline is displayed, it damages your enemy's plan. This is seen perfectly. Here it is in the book of Acts. Say Acts. Acts. 
That's in the New Testament. New Testament. The book of Acts is written by Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Luke and Acts. Okay. So Dr. Luke, say Dr. Luke. <laughs> Dr. Luke. Um, Dr. Luke, Dr. Luke, he's a Gentile, he's non-Jew physician. He's a doctor. And so he sees things that everybody else does not see. He sees situations and circumstances that others do not see, they're not aware of. And check this out. Uh, in the, he writes the book of Acts. Acts is this 32-year journey, starting with a remnant of 120 people from Jesus offsuit. Uh, think about it. Jesus uh, gets this rejected, dejected group of people, and they become the most powerful movement on the planet. The book of Acts starts with this remnant, say leftover, of 120 people. Jesus had crowds of thousands, but when he was ready to do something great, he ran the crowd away, and he kept the remnant. See, for all of you who felt lonely, that's why I told you I would help you in this message, because whenever Jesus is ready to do something great, he runs the crowd away. It's kind of like a delivery room. Everybody can't be in there when you're getting ready to give birth to a baby. In fact, they'll tell some people, you got to get the heck up out of here because you might contaminate what they're giving birth to. Don't you look at anybody who's left you this year as lost. They were not lost. You better hear me and hear me well. They were contamination. And what God did is God got the contamination up out of your delivery room. So there's 120 folks that are left from this, this offshoot long shot group of misfits to Christianity that started with 12 dejected, rejected, and purposeless men, and it reaches its pinnacle when the Apostle Paul declares it in Rome to the entire empire. That's how the book of Acts ends, where the Apostle Paul makes it to Rome. Rome was the center, really, of the world. If you think of a modern culture today and the modern world today, one could argue that Washington, D.C. Uh, is a seat of power that speaks to the world. You could argue that New York City is a seat of financial power that speaks to the world. You could argue that Los Angeles is a seat of entertainment power that speaks to the world. Uh, you could argue that uh, Dallas, Texas is a seat that speaks to the food and barbecue. <laughs> of the world. Check this out. Check this out. Say 32 years. Now, the word on the street was that the Apostle Paul and those that were with him were turning the world upside down. That was the rumor about them. Notice, the rumor about them was that they were disrupting things. It wasn't church as usual. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't old-time religion. It wasn't, let's sit up and have a seance and then go out and do nothing great. It wasn't, let's be victorious out here and weak out there. They were turning the world upside down. And what's significant is that no matter, no matter how many times they fail, they always fail forward. They went, through, they went through some stuff. See, you and I talk about the stuff we go through. How many people have ever been stoned to death? Now, if you could answer that in the affirmative, you're a ghost. You've been here before. Check this out. How many of us have had people take everything from you and you're left with nothing? You have to start over literally from nothing, literally except from pieces of a boat. Now, you had a better start than that. No, 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 I don't think you understand. Shipwreck, nothing. He, Paul ain't got nothing, no ID. 
thank God that, that, that Rome let him in just on his word that he was a Roman citizen because, you know, he couldn't prove that. He had nothing but a couple of pieces of the boat that crashed. And he starts over. You talking about so-and-so left me. I still got some money saved, though. So-and-so left me. I still got my ID and my credit, though. I still got a job. Right, Can you imagine going through some of this stuff? When I look at how they, uh, some of the spiritual sons that Paul had, how they betrayed him, I'd be like, I'm good. I'm like, God, it ain't even that bad. Because these guys, Paul would literally take these guys and do incredible things. I mean, Paul preaches the gospel to the entire continent of Asia in two years and three months. And Paul makes these incredible changes. And people would literally turn on Paul and leave him destitute and stranded and stuck by himself. And you know what Paul would say? There's one thing I know. Forgetting those things that are behind, I press forward to the. Can you imagine the type of discipline you need? To have watched everybody you just heal treat you like yesterday's trash and get up and say, I will bless the Lord at all times. Somebody say he was disciplined. His discipline got him this rep. They had this rep. They had this rep. Say rep. They had this reputation. The reputation was that they were turning the world upside down. And no matter how many times they failed, they fell forward. So they became known as those who turned the world upside down. Here's what you need to know. Falling forward affects more than just your world. It affects the world. What's that mean, Bishop? The people around you. Your story is not for your glory. Your story is for God's glory. God says, I want to show them an example. Of somebody that can be on the brink of suicide and bounce back. I want to show them an example of somebody that can have a whole system against them. And they'll find a way to fall forward. Somebody say, I'm an example. But here's the truth. To turn the world upside down, God first turns your life upside down. There, there's the trip of it. Before you can turn the world upside down. What's the world? It just means people around you don't. Sometimes people want such big platforms when they haven't, when they haven't properly managed uh, you know, the side of the stage. You know, so, so, so don't, don't talk about, I just, you know, I'm going to, you know, let me say it this way. Don't shoot to be a shooting star because those fall fast. Instead, when you say turn the world upside down, well, Bishop, who are you talking about? Well, let's just start with your cousins now. Your family now. I mean, I mean, you got coworkers that don't even know you're a Christian and they've been sitting next to you for four years. The only reason they know anything about Jesus is because they bring it up because you're so scared to offend them, not realizing you weren't sent there to make them feel comfortable. You were sent there to bring them into the kingdom. You were sent there to make them conquerors. You're not sent there. Watch this. For some people, especially when it comes to jobs, they don't understand. You're there on assignment. Your assignment is there to bring light. Your assignment is there so that every time, oh, here come that harvest girl. Here she go. Good morning. Good morning. You know, she's going to give us one of them CDs from her pastor. Until one day they need it. And that day that they need it, they're going to be sitting. Now, wait a minute. What was that message? What was that series? What was that thing? But you said there's a healing thing. Well, y'all get on a healing thing? Because watch this. Sometimes you sow the seed today, and that seed may not come up, and it may not be ripe for harvest until years later. But when it's ripe for harvest, the only reason it got there is because somebody was willing to sow the seed. Touch your neighbor say, sow the seed. So to turn the world upside down, i got to move fast. God first turns your life upside down. And when that happens, you're going to need these three things. First thing is the power of purpose. Say the power of purpose. 
Now, these guys, these guys and ladies, they used their lives to change lives. So their stories became significant. And they had a why that fueled their what? Their purpose gave them power. We have an issue in modern culture. It's called vacant self-esteem. Low self-esteem means your, your self-esteem is low. Excessively high self-esteem means you're arrogant. But then there's this other phenomenon. It is called vacant self-esteem. And it's vacant because we're seeking value in ways that can't provide it. Uh, 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 uh. Psychologists say that vacant self-esteem is when there's an insufficient development of what is referred to as primary esteem, along with feelings of hopelessness, depression, and a general self-destructive outlook marked by the propensity for anger and violence. They come with extreme feelings of suspicion uh, per and perceived negative emotions of others. Vacant self-esteem is this. I have no sense of value, so I value nothing. That, that, that's the culture we live in today. Bishop, how do you know? Because we're seeking value from how many likes we get on Instagram. If 40 people don't like your little family reunion pictures, you sitting here got a little latitude. I'm going to unblock, I'm going to unfollow and block. Check it out. Now when you're mad at somebody, you unfriend them as if that's real life. Versus having an adult conversation and saying, hey, stop running your mouth. Well, it's going to be some trouble in the city. I'm just going to unfriend them. I'm just going to block them. What do we have? Vacant self-esteem. You never valued the connection in the first place. Y'all not talking to me. And so now, watch this. You got ladies, even married ladies, that you're, uh, you're judging your value based on who likes your pictures, based on who's looking at you. And so now you got to show more and show more. Y'all ain't talking about it. I'm going to preach it anyhow. And show more and show more. And so now we've got a whole culture full of people whose esteem is vacant. And so because it's vacant, they value nothing because they have no sense of value. You know your sense of value, how, Bishop? Based on who you permit in your circle. Some of us don't think we're nothing but a project because that's the only kind of people we let in our circle, people that are projects. Y'all, 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 y'all ain't saying nothing. Check this out. While there are many causes to this phenomenon called vacant self-esteem, there's, really self, uh, there's really one solution. Say, what is it, Bishop? You increase your self-esteem and your value when you start adding value to something bigger than you. And that's what being part of Harvest and serving in Harvest does for you. I'm now adding value so I have a sense of value rather than watching this, showing up expecting that someone owes me value simply because I'm here. There's an entitlement that exists in culture today. I do nothing, but you need to treat me like I've done a whole lot. I add no value, but you need to treat me like I have value, which means you have vacant self-esteem that parades itself in excessive self-esteem. Yeah, 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 I'm missing it. All of our stories, including our mistakes, our failures, and our disappointments, are for his glory. And whatever you do, and however you do it, ultimately it has one purpose. Say the power of purpose. Y'all talk to me like an army. Say the power of purpose. Uh, and that's to build the church. So says 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God was pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. All of us share that same purpose. So everybody, I just don't know my purpose. See, you're trying to get value by not adding it. Start adding it and you will have it. 
You're missing what I'm saying. Stop trying to seek value from something that cannot give it. Instead, be an adder of value. And when you're an adder of value, you will have a value. And now that you have a value, you won't chase low things, low people, low places, low ideas to get value. Say, I got a purpose. Matthew 16, 18, it's Jesus speaking. The latter part of the verse, he says, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The only thing Jesus is building is the church. So if you say you have a purpose that didn't advance in the church, where do you get that from? Jesus didn't say right there he's building your business. He didn't say right there he's building your thing. He said, I'm building my thing, and you need to help me build my thing. Sometimes we wonder why we don't have help. It's because we're not helpful. Touch the neighbor and say, bring some value. Now, touch another one and say, bring some value. Your gifts, your talent, your skills, your ideas. Do you know how many more people we could be reaching if you'd get up off your blessed assurance and God would helping us turn the world upside down? You're gifted, you're talented, you're skilled, you got ability. You don't just come here to sit. You come here so we can turn the world upside Y'all ain't talking. So we can turn the world God will not involve himself in building your business until you involve yourself in building his. It's said that 90% of people that become Christians fall away in two years or less because when they fall, make mistakes or have disappointments, they go back to the same old way of life, not realizing we're not only saved from something. Watch this. We're saved for something. I'm going to say it again. You're not just saved from something. Oh, I'm so glad I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, what is that doing to help add value and and build a church. Are you hearing what I'm saying? No, 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 no. Watch this, watch this, watch this. I discovered that one of the reasons people fall away is because, watch this, they're not adding any value. Their esteem is vacant, so their Christian walk is a vacation instead of a vocation. So, so, so it is. Oh, I come to church vacation. Hallelujah. But once we leave, it's not a vocation. Vocation, what's that? It's not a call. It's not calling you up to something higher, calling us up to something greater, calling us up to something with purpose. Purpose will give you the tenacity to deal with pain. How did they get the rep that they're turning the world upside down? Can I show you something? Because they had a fierceness of focus. That's point number two. They had a fierceness of focus. Y'all getting kind of quiet on me. Whatever you focus on becomes bigger. Okay, let me prove it to you. I can be in this room right now, but right now the only thing I'm focused on is that camera. So you want to know, right now that camera, because I'm focused on it, that's the only thing I'm paying attention to. I can't see what's going on over here. You missed it. I'm focused on this. So if somebody's out there doing something, I can't even pay attention to it because I'm focused. Paul and the rest of the folk with him, they had a fierceness of focus. If you tried to get them to turn their head, Paul then would clap back and say, no, we were sent to not take sides, but to take over. We were sent to use our story for God's glory. We're here for something greater than ourselves. That's why the Bible says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. In other words, he's going to become bigger to you. Not that he becomes bigger. He's just going to become bigger to you. So in the Bible, especially in the book of Acts, we see this thing over and over again where they focused on the messages they were receiving and the solution started becoming bigger than the struggles. The Bible says in the book of Acts that they kept talking about the message. They left, they would leave church and the Bible says they would eat and talk about the message. We leave church and eat. And what I want to challenge us to do is to realize that what gives us a fierceness of focus is what we choose to focus on. These messages are not just for our entertainment. 
These messages are not just for us to feel good. These messages are so that just like they did in the book of Acts, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They kept going over what they were taught over and over and over and over again. So here's what happened. They were so focused. They were so fierce in their focus that when anything tried to come and get them distracted, they were like, "Mm -mm, ain't nobody got time for that. They discussed the messages they heard. They shared them with others. And that's what made them fiercely focused. That's what I want to ask uh, uh, you. And that's why I always ask us to like and to share and to invite because it keeps you focused. What if the reason that your follow through stops, which means your discipline stops, is because we hear the message on Sunday and we don't come back around to it until next Sunday? I spent about the first 10 to 15 minutes of each message reviewing where I was because I want to make sure that we're on the same page. What if I could just get into the new stuff, though? Because the whole week we were like, I'm going over it again and again and again and again and again. What if you were so focused on the messages that on one Sunday I just came up and said, all we're going to do is worship. You say good because I didn't need a word because I've been studying the word I have. So I didn't need a new one because I'm going to master the one I got. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying. Say fiercely focused. Watch this example, and I'm almost there. Paul, in Acts chapter 14, verse number 9, we're going to look at a few verses there. He just gets stoned. And that'd be a great place to justify stopping. But because he was fiercely focused, Paul fell for it. Now, these falls, these mistakes, these disappointments, etc., these were calls for the apostle Paul because he was doing the right thing. Sometimes on your journey to doing the right thing, The wrong things happen. That doesn't mean God forgot you. Doesn't mean God isn't with you. It just means just part of your journey. Say, I'm falling forward. Look at this, Acts 14, 9. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, look at this. They stoned Paul. Acts 14, 9. They say they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now, I think you missed that. They stoned him. Say they stoned him. Oh, thank you. Verse 19, excuse me. Thank you. They stoned him and then dragged him out the city. And he looked so bad, they said, I'll just say something else. That joker's dead. Say, so he dead. Didn't nobody tell me nothing. Wouldn't that be a good place for Paul to be like, I'm done? God, I'm through. God, you know what? I was disciplined, but you know, mm-mm. Look at Paul, and if you can't shout off of this, I don't know what you're going to shout off of. However, when the disciples got around him, verse 20, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derby. You missed it. Paul, some of the other believers got around Paul, and since they were so full of the life-giving messages, they were able to give life to other people when they were in a mess. Because sometimes the reason you get the message is because in the week you're going to find somebody that's in a mess. Paul is dead laying on the floor. Come on, come on, come on. Be dead. On the floor. You three, you three, come, come. Shum on. Shum on. Shum on. Okay. Paul is dead. And don't confess that, son. We got a dream team party. I ain't got time for no miracles today. I'm just joking. Paul is dead. Somebody say, he gone. gone. Paul is dead. That would be a good time for Paul to be like, I'm just going to stay. Lord, I'm done with this thing. I'm done with this Christianity thing. 
I'm done with this church thing. I'm done with this giving thing. I'm done with this serving thing. They just stoned me to death, and you didn't protect me, and you could. I want to talk to somebody where the truth be told, you're a little salty with God because you're trying to figure out, God, why did you let this happen when you have the power to stop him? Paul is dead. But then they took him outside, and when they took him outside, the Bible says that some of the other disciples, disciplined ones, you need to get you some disciplined people around you that when you start slacking, they'll check you. When you start acting funny, they'll check you. When you start talking crazy, they'll check you. The real, I feel like preaching, the real people that love you are the people that will check you when you're wrong, check you when you need to get your stuff together. Slap your neighbor, high five, say the check has come. No, tell them, say the check has come. In other words, what does that mean, Bishop, to check me? When they see you slacking, they stop you. The Bible says that some disciples got around him. And when some disciples got around him, the Bible says that when they got around him, Paul was a disciplined man. That's how he won. Say discipline is how we win. He got some other disciplined people around him. Let me prophesy. No more days of lesser quality metals than you in your life. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. In other words, it takes the same type of person to make that person better. I declare you're a conqueror, so conquerors are coming in your circle. You're a winner, so winners are coming in your circle. You're disciplined, so disciplined people are coming in your circle. The Bible says, watch this, all they did, put the verse up, verse 20, put it up. The Bible says all they did was what? Get around him. Look at me, because you missed it. They didn't pray. They didn't lay hands. They didn't fast. All he needed was some people to get around him that were just like him so he'd be able to win. And when disciplined people got around him, all of a sudden Paul was like, Paul was like, and Paul was like, y'all come on, let's go into the next city because I'm not falling down. I'm not falling backward. I'm falling forward. No, 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 no. I'm just about done. Y'all here? We're just about there. The apostle Paul could do this because he knew what he was part of and what he was building was bigger than him. He was turning the world. He was turning the world. He was turning the world. Which brings me to the third and final point. What is it that made Paul do this? He had the tenacity to triumph. Say tenacity. We learned last week that God always leads us into triumph. But to be led, what did we learn already in this message? You have to what? Follow. And sometimes to follow, you got to be tenacious. Because when you're trying to follow, things will get in your way. When you finally find the man of God you're called to, then stuff will try to get in the way. When you finally start serving, have you ever noticed that's when stuff gets crazy? You finally started giving. Have you noticed that's when stuff gets crazy? Because God says, I need to see if you're tenacious. See, tenacious people, stay with me now. Tenacious people, let's pretend like, say, this is the journey. The journey's ahead, but check this out. Tenacious people, when, they, when stuff's in the way, tenacious means I'm holding on to. Somebody holler, I'm holding on. I said holler, and I said loud, holler, I'm holding on. Tenacious people, when stuff gets in their way, tenacious people, they don't stop. What are you doing? Why are you here? Let's go to lunch. You don't go to church either? I don't go to church either. You got a problem? I got a problem. You mad? I'm mad. That's not what tenacious people do. Tenacious people are like, mm. move. Oh, watch this. And then they'll shout when it gets good. And then they'll rec recognize, I ain't just going to shout. I ain't just going to pray. The Bible says, watch and pray. Which means, since I'm tenacious, as I keep going, something else might try to get in my way. But that's cool. I learned a new move. Y'all not saying that. 
because I got the tenacity to try up. I'm holding on and nothing will get in my way. I'm like a dog that's got a good and I just need to find out if there's some people in this place where there's a tenacity in you. Well, I will not let anything get in my way. If that's you, holla yeah. It means, it means to be persistent. Get a grip on it firmly. That's how those in the book of Acts earned this title. Bees that have turned the world. Bees that have turned the world. They understood that part of their triumph was in their testimony. They wanted to see lives change. They didn't take sides. They took over. That's who we are, church. The mistakes of the disciples were used to fish for men to get them in the church. And in Acts 17, you see this so clearly because they understood they were a battleship, not a cruise ship. I came to tell somebody it's time for you to man your battle station. Yesterday, one of my favorite things to do is to watch movies because I get all kind of messy with movies. Yesterday, I went to see this movie called Hunter Killer about this submarine, which basically Olympus has fallen in three. That's <laughs> basically what it is. It's just in the water, basically. And so uh, in, in, the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the movie, it was really interesting because, you know, I got the sub, and while they're in the sub, uh, uh, basically this whole thing with the Russian and all of this, and, uh, and all this is happening, they have to get into enemy territory. When they're going into enemy territory, they've been ordered there. Woo! They've been ordered into enemy territory. And they cannot defy those orders. Sometimes what God will do is send you into enemy territory and say, you cannot defy these orders. The reason I haven't changed your situation is because you're still trying to negotiate about the order. I'll send you into Denver and say, build me a church. I'll see, y'all not saying nothing. I'll send you to an enemy territory and I'll command you to do something that seems impossible. So they're trying to navigate the sub. Spoiler alert. They're trying to navigate the sub. Still cool graphics though. They're trying to navigate the sub and they're trying to get it through and they're going through this Russian, give me some Russian mother, mother, mother Russia. Give me some Russian something. And they're trying to get the submarine through this little narrow passage. And they've, they've got one of the Russian captains of one of the subs, Capitan, one of the subs. They've got him. And then, watch this. He's with them, and they're trying to navigate. And they're navigating through all of these different landmines and all these things that are underwater. Because if they make the wrong sound, if they take the wrong turn, all of a sudden the entire navy of Russia is going to be coming against them. So they're navigating, and while they're navigating, they're getting to this point where it looks like they can't pass anymore. <laughs> and the navigator says to the captain, he says, Captain, he says, there's no clear passage here. There's no way through this. There's no way to get past this. And everybody's at their battle stations, and so, and so, and so the, the captain's got a tough decision to make because the, uh, the second in command, he says, Captain, Captain, we're going to hit a wall. There's no way through this for us. We're going to hit a wall. But the captain says, keep going. Captain, if we keep going, you're going to kill us all. I think there's a passage through here. Because the man that's been here before told me there's a passage through here. And, 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 and at this point, we can't back up. Because if we back up, there's not enough room for us to turn around. There's not enough room for us to, I don't know if the, the sub could go back and out. He said, there's not enough room. And, and we're going to run into some stuff if we try to back up. That's what's happening in somebody's life right now. You keep running into stuff because you're trying to back up. You're trying to retreat. You're trying to conserve and this and that and all that. So the captain's like, there's a way forward. Somebody say, there's a way forward. 
he was tenacious. He was tenacious. Now, his ship has taken some hits. I mean, they've gone through all kind of stuff. And, and the captain's like, his, his navigator says to him, he says, Captain, there's no way through here. He says, I, I think there is. I think there is. Keep going. To everybody in here who says, I don't think there's a way, there is. Keep going. Keep going. And right when they get up to the place, watch this, where they thought they were going to hit the wall, everybody was holding their breath, and then they passed through. And when they passed through, everybody lets go of their breath. And he says, Captain, there was a passage. We just couldn't see it. We had to trust what you told us. And you told us to keep going, and there was a passage. The captain was tenacious. Say tenacious. Lay your hands on yourself. Say, I'm tenacious. And part of that tenacity, church, I'm about through right here, is that you've got to use your life to change the lives of other people. Part of your tenacity and part of your triumph is in your testimony. Say, it's in my testimony. In other words, church, I'm going to tell you, this is not just about us. If you have the cure for cancer, you tell everybody about it. Well, we have the cure for life, and his name is Jesus. And he's at work in our church, and we got to invite everybody to experience this life-giving church called Harvest. Every ethnicity, every economic condition, black folk, white folk, Hispanic folk, Asian folk, young folk, old folk, tatted up folk, fresh out the pen folk, former thugs and current thugs, executives. Everybody is invited. Nobody's excluded. Which means we got to look at the statistics about this city and every other city we're about to put our foot in. And we got to say, we know what the statistics say, but we got a tenacity to triumph. We will turn the world. We will turn the world. We will turn the world. Well, Bishop, I got issues. Don't worry. Jacob was a cheater, but he turned the world upside down. Peter had a temper, but he turned the world upside down. David uh, set somebody up, but he turned the world upside down. Noah was a drunk, but he turned the world upside down. Jonah was a runner, but he turned the world upside down. Paul was a murderer, but he turned the world upside down. Gideon was insecure, but he turned the world... Miriam was a gossip, but she turned the world upside down. Martha was a warrior, but she turned the world upside down. Thomas was a daughter, but he turned the world upside down. Elijah became depressed, but he turned the world. Moses stuttered, but he turned the world. Abraham was too old, but he turned the world. I don't care where you're being. God's ready to use your life to turn the world. Give him praise if you believe it, church. Give him praise if you believe it, church. Give him praise if you believe it, church. It's bigger than you. Say it's bigger than me. I am out of time, so out of time. But this is bigger than you. You'll feel better about you when you start adding value to something bigger than you. They had tenacity, y'all. They had tenacity. They kept going because they said, until everybody knows, we're not done. Until everybody knows, we're not done. They kept falling because they were doing right. It wasn't a fall like they made a mistake. It was a fall because something came against them, but they kept going. They killed Paul. You know what Paul did? Paul said, I don't have time to be dead. For everybody in here where you beat death once, why in the heaven do you think you beat it? You didn't beat it just so you can sit up and say, God's been good to me. You beat it so that now you can turn the world. 
Cancer kills lots of folks. How didn't it kill you? You're not done. You grew up in the rough, on the rough side. And you never moved up to a deluxe apartment in the sky. Why do you think that was your story? So you could turn the world. Other people's mamas abandon them and they become basket cases. Yours abandoned you. And now you a blessing. How did that happen? You're supposed to turn the world. This is what Jesus is building. And so today, I know I took a little longer today. But as we get ready, we're ending this series on Wednesday. God says, son, give him a, give him a mandate. Give him a mandate. Give him an opportunity. Let me tell you something about me. I know what I'm called to do. And I'm going to tell you something. Stuff comes against me that I'd be like, God, what the world is this here? You know what he says? Man, turn the world upside down. Do something so incredible, people will get on a plane to fly in to have service for one day. You got folk across the street streaming. But do something so incredible that they'll catch a flight that's longer than the service. Ain't the first time. I know what I'm called to do. There's a video I used to show some of our leaders years ago called This Is How We Change the World. I'm done. And in that video, say I'm turning the world upside down. Now say it like you mean it. Say I'm turning the world upside down. All them people had issues, and they did it anyhow. Paul wrote real strong, but in person he was kind of weak. That was the word on the street. But when you see his tenacity, <laughs> dude was dead. Do you know what dead means? Dead. And he just got some disciplined people around him. And they gave him life. They didn't pray for him. They just got around him. There's this video I saw. We saw the leaders called This is How We Change the World. And the pastor's mother, they built this great church in the Bible Belt. And uh, I said, that's a different hand. <laughs> and they built this great church in the Bible Belt. Amazing to see what God did in their, uh, through them and is still doing through them. And the pastor's mother says something. She says, I always knew he was going to change the world. The only question is who was going to do it with him. And quite literally, God's using them to do that. He's turning the world. I know what I'm called to do. So today is my invitation for you to do it with me. So two invitations today. Well, I pray that today's life-giving message has spoken life into your life. I'm Bishop Foreman, pastor of Harvest Church, and at this time, I want to extend an opportunity to you to give your life to Jesus Christ. You know, 2,000 years ago, God stepped in a body. That body was called Jesus. That body got on a cross and died for our sins. Now, sins are things that we do that don't please God, and they ultimately don't please God because they ultimately are very harmful and dangerous to us. Not only did he die for our sins, he died so we could have life and life more abundantly. Here's what that means, that not only do we experience God's best, but that we can speak life into other people and use our lives 
to change the lives of other people. And today, if you need to become a Christian for the first time, the Bible says if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you will be saved or born again or become a Christian. All of those phrases mean the same thing. And if today you were far from God, this is your opportunity to reconnect to God. I love him because uh, he's not the God of a second chance. The truth is, is we've all used our second chance already. He's the God of another chance. He offers us constant new beginnings and fresh starts to get things right for him. He gave his life for us so that we could give our lives for him. So today, if you need to become a Christian or recommit yourself to Jesus right there where you're at, I don't care where you're listening to this message, I want you to say this with me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. Because of this belief and because of this confession, if this is my first time praying this, I am now a Christian. If I was far from you, I am reconnected to you. Great days are here for me. Today is the beginning of the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, you are now a Christian. You're born again. You're saved from yourself. And if you were far from God, you're reconnected to God. And here's what I want you to do. Take out your mobile phone and text the word DECISION to the phone number 59769. And when you do... I'm going to send you a message right away that's going to show you how to make Christianity your lifestyle and not just a hobby. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. You are connected to me and connected to Harvest Church for a reason. It's because this is the place God wants to speak life into your life. This is the place God wants you to grow and become a strong Christian and, and serve and change the lives of other people. So stay connected, whether it's at a physical campus or a digital campus, stay connected to Harvest Church. Keep receiving this word and let it speak life into your life. Hope you have a phenomenal day. Hey, congratulations. We all know a guy who only occasionally shaves for big occasions, and it's because that occasional shave really hurts. It's the time of year for big occasions, and yet there he is, suffering with that cheap drugstore razor. Let's help him out. Henson Shaving's line of razors, built with aerospace precision, deliver a smooth shave your dad, brother, and even son can enjoy, eventually. With replacement blades just 10 cents each, you'll buy it once, and they'll use it for life. How's that for the perfect gift? Celebrate with 100 free blades on your first purchase, and no subscription headaches. HensonShaving.com slash holiday. Ah, feel the whoa with Listerine at BJ's. You can save $2.50 now on Listerine products like Total Care Anti-Cavity Fluoride Fresh Mint Mouthwash or Cool Mint Pocket Packs Fresh Breath Strips at your nearest BJ's location. Experience the feeling of a million germs zapped in seconds with Listerine. Discount available through December 24th. Save now only at BJ's. 